Welcome back to Team Talk, ESPN Radio 1017, The Team. Joe O'Neill, Sam Hauser, joining us now on the Daniels Plumbing and Heating and Air Conditioning Cool Take Hotline is Ed Graney. He's a columnist with the Las Vegas Review Journal. He's also a host on ESPN Radio in Las Vegas. Uh, Ed, always great to talk to you. Uh, we've got so much that we can run by you, but I uh, just want to get into this uh, UNLV-UNM matchup. Obviously, wasn't much of a game, a 29-point victory for uh, the running Rebels. And, you know, the Lobos have had their fair share of tough luck uh, the last you know, month or so, as you know, uh, but I will say this, um, from, uh, now seeing UNLV evolve from the start of the year to now, um, uh, they seem to be getting a, a lot better and it's just not the Bryce Hamilton show anymore. Uh, Ed? No, no, it's not Joe. I mean, uh, you know, Kevin Kruger is a first year head coach and he brought in 10 new players. So when you do that, it's going to take a while to gel and to get guys playing on the same page. Uh, that the other night I thought was one of the more complete performances. Um, UNM really struggled to score. I mean, I, and, and they're such a good scoring team. I thought, I thought the way, um, UNLV played them was great. And then UNLV really, really struggled to guard UNLV. So Kevin's getting, you know, his team, uh, together, I think more. Um, they've had COVID issues like everyone around that we can even think about. Um, and you're right, Donovan Williams, uh, one of the transfers has really emerged as the second score and they needed that because Bryce, you know, Bryce Hamilton's a great scorer. Um, Brian Dutcher, the San Diego State coach last week, called him one of the top 10, 15 scorers in the country, just kind of pure scorers who can go get a basket when he needs it. But I think Donovan Williams is a kid coming along now, had the big dunk the other night, averaging over 22 the last three or four games, has really given Kevin another, another option. So Kevin's team is coming along. They've got a long way to go. But like I said, with 10 faces, that's really, really difficult to be good right away. It is, but we both know... Um... If you do have that special head coach, uh, then it's going to give the likelihood of the, of that kind of gelling a little bit better chance, Ed. And you've covered like this conference a long time and a lot of different coaches you've aver- observed. And you always try to, you know, stay low key, not too high, not too low, but your early observations of Kevin Kruger and, uh, what you think of the job he's doing because, uh, everybody knows there's been a lot of turnover in that position over the last 10 years, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Kevin's doing a nice job. Um, he, you know, his, his dad's one of the best college basketball coaches ever. And I think Kevin is not, um, not uh, against saying he leans on lawn and, and they discuss things and I'm sure they watch tape and that's what I would do if I was Kevin. I mean, if you have a wealth of information like lawn Kruger to speak to on a daily basis, lawn can watch the game. You know, he can go over things with Kevin and Kevin has said that he goes, why wouldn't I lean on him? I mean, he was one of the best ever. So I think that's helped Kevin a lot. I think lawn can tell Kevin, you know, not only just the basketball side of things, but you know, the daily grind of being a head coach, um, the basketball, the academics, how to handle kids, how to handle different personalities on a team. So I think that's helped Kevin a lot. I think Kevin has a chance to be a good coach. Um, you know, he's Kevin's very he's very self-effacing. Uh, there's very little ego to Kevin. Even though he was a point guard, he played professionally overseas. He was a very good player here. You know, he led him to the Sweet 16. So there's very little ego with Kevin, and he he delegates authority. He allows his assistants to coach. And the kids really, really seem to like him. So I think Kevin's got a really good chance um, as he continues to recruit and try to build a program kind of in his likeness. And like I said, maybe away from Lon in terms of his likeness, but definitely leaning on Lon when he has to. Yeah, and you just kind of see the the mannerisms uh, on the sideline. It's so reminiscent of, of his dad, who, as you said, 
uh, was was one of the great coaches in college basketball. I mean, uh, no doubt about it. Um, so uh, I don't want to shift to obscurity, but uh, I just kind of lot of got to go back over the years with you, uh, Ed, because we've been there. Um, you know, you see the crowd at the the Thomas and Mac, and we knew it was going, uh, it was dwindling. I mean, I, I hate to dwell on the negative stuff because, like I said, you know, they got a lot of good things going. Uh, but uh, to see that game the other night um, and to see how few people, I of course Googled to see what the attendance of the Thomas and Mac was because uh, on certain years during that conference tournament there uh not only the the lower bowl was completely packed of course but going back up and so that joint holds i believe 19,800 for a basketball game uh and um to see so few we know we're a long way from those days uh, and it's been going down since i mean even a few years back you know it was hard to see the top bowl full but how uh, how far away are i mean it almost makes you wonder if they are looking at maybe having another play place to play because the the place was so empty uh ed yeah they i mean they've struggled they haven't been in the NCAA tournament since 2013 and that's a long long time and no matter what the history of the program is and it's got obviously the history of tark and winning the national title and those back-to-back teams um people want to see a winner uh you know there's a you know kids going to that school nowadays you have to tell them who jerry tarkanian was i mean you know they 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 probably have heard of him going there there's a statue of him outside the school but, you know, they didn't live through that great days. All they're doing is living through a time where there's no NCAA tournament appearances. So kids want to, you know, they, they, they want to see a winner. They, you know, to get there on a night when they, you know, they haven't seen Mitch winning, that's difficult. The town as well, you know, again, this is now 20 years ago. Yep. There were no Golden Knights. Uh, now you have the Raiders. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, typically that that's completely the reason why. But the Golden Knights are really, really, really popular here. And if you're not at the game, you're probably watching the game. So if it's a decision to sit home and watch the Golden Knights or go out to Thomas and Matt and get in your car, I think a lot of people opt for the former. Um, they have a new AD, Eric Harper. He was introduced yesterday for the full time. He's been the interim. And he is, you know, he's trying. They came out with something today, Joe, about um, they're going to give prizes away to students coming. They're talking about electronics and Nike stuff. And he's going to do his best to get sponsorships for these things to try to get kids out there. They're going to do tailgates with the kids. And you have to do stuff like that in 2021 if you're UNLV. So, yeah, I mean, it's not just the students. Like I said, it's 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 the longtime fans. It's you know the people who have been going for a lot. They seem to have wavered off. And the best recipe for that is if, is if Kevin can build a winner because I still believe in this town as as popular as the Golden Knights are, and they're extremely popular. If UNLV basketball was winning at a clip where they were going to the NCAA tournament, I think you'd turn on that game the other night and see thousands and thousands of more people. But until they do that, they're going to have to kind of manufacture things to get people out there like they're going to try to do with the kids and the students. Right. And not only was the, the product on the, the court really cool, Ed, um, is the production that you saw there, uh, it, you know, for this college basketball games with, with UNLV. I mean, um, it was it was really um, such a great place to watch it. And then so many great memories from the conference tournament. I mean, the, the biggest testament to that was then they moved it to the Pepsi Center in Denver, which is an NBA facility. And you couldn't hear. I mean, people were so 
ticked off about that, that as soon as they could move it back contractually, uh, they were back up there. So anyway, let's I hope that's uh, the direction that you're going. they're going in. Uh, so, uh, Sam, I want you to jump in and ask Ed a question about the Raiders or 10. Well, just, and actually before we get to that, as we're talking you know, about the Raiders, Ed, you know, you mentioned the Raiders and, and the Vegas Golden Knights, and even if they're not necessarily directly competing with each other, you do see that happen in, in certain markets where it just, if there are these other options that become available, all of a sudden the college team that was the big thing might find itself getting buried on the depth chart, so to say. Like, as, as people pick and choose their entertainment options, do you see that as, as potentially what could be happening with UNLV? Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, the Raiders, you know, the NFL and the price of the tickets, that's going to be, that's, I'm not saying the Golden Knights are cheap, but it's a different, t- it's a different price point, a different fan. The Raiders have a lot of fans that come in for games, obviously, the, you know, from L.A. and from the Bay Area and from Arizona. There's Raider fans everywhere, so it's a much different fan base than kind of a locally based like the Golden Knights. But like, like I said before, there's no question the Knights have taken some interest away from everyone else in town. Um, the Golden Knights are different, and they're different from the Raiders and everyone else. And I might have talked to you guys before about this. You know, they came right when October 1 and the shooting happened. And these were this was a team made up of players and management that had no idea about Las Vegas. They, they had, weren't from here. They didn't know anything about it. But I'll always give credit to their owner, Bill Foley, because when that shooting happened, these guys got into this community in a way that you couldn't imagine. They were at hospitals. They were at events. They got into this town. And then you have that magical season of going to the Stanley Cup final the first year. It all came together as a, this team will be beloved you know, till it's no longer a team here. So they take away a lot of interest from everyone else um, in the town. And I'm sure, like I said, I know people who probably used to go to UNLV game on a Wednesday night, but if the Maple Leafs are playing the Knights, you might not be at the Knights game, but you're watching the Knights game. So, you know, and the Raiders, you know, the Raiders want to get into the community like this, and it's no fault of their own. The NFL is the biggest thing we have, so there's going to be a local interest in it. But they'll never be the Golden Knights. It is impossible because the fan base locally will never feel for them like they do the Golden Knights. So, yeah, that, that's true. UNLV has kind of slipped down the depth chart, again, to some fault of its own because it hasn't been very good at basketball, but to no fault of its own because I think the Golden Knights just kind of took some of that interest. Ed Grady with us on ESPN Radio 1017. The team, you can find his work in the Las Vegas Review-Journal and on ESPN Radio in Las Vegas, and you know, as we're talking about the Raiders, and it's it's funny when when the when the Golden Knights first started, and we found out that the Raiders were going to move to Vegas. There was all this talk of you know who's going to go to the game that you know about having a, a a true home fan base and everything. And of course, that's worked out you know incredibly well for both of those teams. But we go in reverse now. Raiders going to Cincinnati on Saturday afternoon. What do you expect as far as a, a Raider fan base traveling to Cincinnati? Well, they'll go as much as they can. I know that. I'm, I'm on a red-eye tonight, and it's pretty packed, and I'm sure the flights tomorrow will be packed. I mean, they, they travel. Um, I know there was a, a, a tweet from the Cincinnati Bengals saying, asking their season ticket holders, don't, you know, asking them stop selling the tickets to the Raider fans. They, they had a sense that a lot of these tickets were being moved for a lot of money to Raider fans, and they actually had to tweet that and, and, and ask that that not happen. So Raider fans... You know, they're, they can be crazy and wild and all that stuff, but they're committed and they're loyal. And, you know, home games here, in the beginning of the year, you saw a lot of opposing fans, and that's what's going to happen because people circle one game a year. Well, now they're going to circle Vegas. They're all going to come here. So if it's the Chiefs or the Bears or, you know, public teams, they're going to come and kind of try to overtake that stadium. For the first time, I didn't see that was the Charger game on Sunday night. That's the first time I said, man, 
this is a locally based crowd and what a game it was to watch. I mean, that was a real local crowd. Um, so this week, I'm sure they'll have their, you know, they'll have their, uh, size of crowd there, but they've got to worry about other things. Cincinnati kind of beat them up here in Allegiant stadium and Joe Mixon kind of ran, ran his way to like 130 yards. So the Raiders are going to have their hands full, obviously the way Burrow's playing. Burrow wasn't healthy when they were here before he's healthy now. I mean, Jamar Chase was good when he was here. He's better now. So the Raiders, you know, they're laying, they're getting five and a half, which is a good number around town. It was seven, so the money went to the Raiders. So I do think they have a chance for sure, but they're going to have to go play well. And, you know, for all we know, it's going to be snowing because the temperatures there are pretty low right now. Well, and to say the least, uh, Raiders not exactly a beacon of consistency. When you look at this team week to week, what are some of the consistent, if anything, that you can really take away, you know, knowing what to expect in, in any given Raider game? Because it seems like, they are the you know as they're playing in wild card weekend. I, I said this yesterday. They're the little definition of a wild card, so it's hard to get a gauge of how this game's going to go against Cincinnati. What can we expect on Saturday afternoon? Well, if you watch them the last month, you'd be shocked they're in the playoffs and that they have ten wins yeah. because their offense, our offense has not been good. Their offense was really good to begin the year. It has been the last month anything but good but they've been able to stay in it defensively i think gus bradley is the coordinator we don't know what's going to happen with the head coaching position but no matter what happens i would suggest whoever the head coach is next year considers keeping gus bradley as the coordinator because they haven't been kind of this good defensively in a long time not that they're great but we're talking a vast improvement so offensively you know they just haven't been any good you know i mean you know, they it didn't help with what, you know, the, the, the horrible thing that happened with uh, the, the person that Henry Ruggs, uh, you know, killed in the car accident. That wasn't a good thing. Um, you know, they've had, this has been a year of dr- drama with this team. John Gruden, Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett had to be released after he, his mm-hmm. viral video went viral. So to say they have 10 wins and they're here in this place is pretty amazing when you think about it. With all the off-field nonsense that happened with this team, um, but on the field, They've just been, I think they've been a little fortunate. You know, they've, they got the Drew Locks when they needed the Drew Locks. Um, they, they got backup quarterbacks down the stretch when they needed backup quarterbacks to face. Uh, but you have to say, look, they've had six walk-off wins. So you must be doing something right at the end of the games. You know, Derek Carr is really good in the beginning. He hasn't been really good in the middle, but he's been really good at the end. And when you have six walk-off wins, uh, that's, that's either you're pretty fortunate or you're doing things the right way in the end, and it's probably a little bit of both if we're going to be fair to the Raiders. They're really doing stuff well at the end of the game, and they've been fortunate for sure. Well, and whichever way you put it in that regard, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Rich Bisaccia because that's certainly something that goes in his favor if the Raiders are winning this many close games. Yeah, there's certainly some luck involved, but they're in a position to, to stay competitive for somebody who, you know, a lot of fans, I'm sure Raider fans included, had to do a little bit of a Google search on when, when Rich Bisaccia named the interim head coach. What's the sense that you have as far as if he even has an outside chance to be back next season, if there's more he can do in the playoffs to prove himself, uh, you know, if, if he might get looks somewhere else? What's the sense about Rich Bisaccia's future? Well, that's a great question. I mean, if they go out Saturday, I think that they'll be a new head coach. Uh, if he'd win a game or two, then all bets are off because I, you know, I know Mark Davis really well. Sometimes the kind of climb in the owner's head, it's impossible to do in terms of which way he's thinking. I'll say this for Rich Bisacci, though. He took it over in a time of turmoil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the best thing he did was he didn't try to be John Gruden, all powerful, one voice, I'm making all the decisions. He delegated the authority to Greg Olson, his offense coordinator, to Gus Bradley's defense coordinator. Rich stayed with special teams because he had been the coordinator. And he listened. 
And he told us that this week because we asked him, are you a better head coach right now? And he wouldn't really answer. Uh, not much ego. He's, he's a guy who comes in with written notes for the media. You know, he, he he's not in there bragging about anything. And he said, you know, the most the best thing I did was just listen to people. And, you know, if you don't listen, you have no humility. So Rich, to me, has done a terrific job. I don't know if he's going to be the head coach. Um, he's going to work somewhere in the league. He obviously is a special teams coordinator. That's his kind of. That's kind of his talents. Um, he might stay here. I think, you know, if it's a new coach, staying on might be a little difficult in the sense unless Rich wants to stay on. And they, you know, and, and they make that a point to the new head coach. Uh, they've made, you know, some big names out there have been dropped as to who's going to be the coach here. But I think for Rich Bisaccia, no matter what happens, Mark Davis, um, Mike Mayock, they owe this guy a big debt of gratitude because that was a mess that that guy undertook. And he, he, he settled the shit down. He got the players believing him. The players love this guy. They absolutely love him. And that happens a lot with special teams coaches because a lot of players play for that guy. But they love him, and they've played hard for him. And if it ends Saturday, it ends Saturday. If they go on, you never know. Um, I just ultimately, if you have to, if I have to answer your question, I get a sense that there'll be a new head coach next year. Uh, we're talking to Ed Graney. He's a columnist with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He's also a host on ESPN Las Vegas. One last thing i got to ask you. We check in on you every time you're on about this. Is uh, Economically, uh, Las Vegas has been uh, hit as hard, if not harder, than any other city in the country, uh, statistically. Um, you know, and, and, of course, you know the, the, all the health-related stuff is, is in there, too. But um, i got to ask you, we're two weeks removed from New Year's Eve. Um, I know you don't spend a whole lot of time down on the Strip, but you're aware of, you know, how would you uh, describe, you know, Las Las Vegas's climb back, Ed. I think it's slow but steady. I think New Year's Eve had had a, had a decent crowd, probably not as big as past years. Um, we were kind of watching it locally. Um, slow but steady. I think the Raiders have helped. Um, I think you know on those weekends, people have kind of flocked to Las Vegas to watch them. That's really put people in hotels and casinos and restaurants. And you know, a lot of economists will tell you that you know stadiums don't make money. I get that. I think it's a little different here, though, because it's such a destination. So I think it's slow but steady. Um, you know, new casinos are going up. They usually don't build them unless they figure they can put people in the rooms and at their tables. Um, so, you know, it was. you're right, uh, Joe. It, it was hit harder than maybe any place in the country because yeah. of being a tourist town. But um, I think it's bouncing back probably as well as can be expected at this point. I got you, and uh, we'll keep our eye on uh, the Lobo fans um flocking to Vegas for the Mountain West tournament because that's that's yep. been a guarantee uh for 20 years Ed. Oh yeah, I mean and you talked about the Pepsi Center. We were at those games and I remember whether it was Steve Fisher or Steve Alford or whoever, you know, they're all like go back to Vegas. <laughs> I mean they said this is just, I mean I was at those games there was zero atmosphere. There was hardly anyone there and I know they you know they said okay it's a neutral court. But I think coaches finally said, no, you know, if you know these, it's going to be on their court. You can make it non-neutral as much as possible. And I think it's the best thing they ever did was come back to the Thomas Mac. So I think it'll be, you know, after last year and everything with the pandemic, I think this year will be really exciting to get that thing back going. I'll tell you the biggest compliment I ever uh, made, you know, heard for, about the uh, the excitement of that tournament there at the Thomas and Mac, uh, Ed. This was a couple years back, but I ran into the official Eric Curry, uh, and sure. he was in his jacket, you know, walking from some place to another, but he was up, like, in the concourse area uh, briefly, and so somehow ran into him and said something like, uh, oh, you're calling, you know, this tournament instead 
instead of because he he calls like all the the major conferences and you know the Big right. Twelve and the Pac twelve and all that you know so it wasn't a, an unusual question for him because he called and he's like no man this is where all the officials want to be uh, yeah th- this is such a great tournament you know and that that to me was like a compliment like that refs wanted to be in the midst because you know back years ago some of these other conference tournaments that bounce you know I'm thinking of the Big Twelve one year it'd be in Dallas another year it'd be in Kansas City you know whatever um but the stability of this conference tournament w- made it such that it was um you know outside the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden uh, but it was certainly more attractive than the Pac-12 you know you were down in San Diego and the Pac-12 tournament wasn't drawing nearly what the Mountain West was am I right you're right, and I'll put I'll put Friday night of the Mountain West tournament back in the day against any tournament in the country. Um, uh, you know what Coach Alford did? I remember games between Jimmer and Kawhi Leonard. Um, just great, great, great basketball games on that that Friday night. Those semifinals when UNLV was good, New Mexico, San Diego State, those kind of teams, BYU. There was nothing like it. So I'll always say that. I'll always say Friday night. Now is it like that anymore? Probably not. Uh, because the teams aren't like that anymore. But I will say that Friday night back in the day, like you said, Joe, was one of the most exciting things I've ever covered. Yeah, and and I'll take you back to um, uh, to, to even Utah and Majerus, you know, on the sidelines, you know, and uh, man, and of course Steve Fisher uh, was it, it was it was like a Steve, um, the guy that coached at Wyoming when they had a couple of good years. Yeah, got, Steve, McCl- Steve McClain. Steve McClain. Steve McClain. I mean, what a yeah. character he was on the sideline, yeah. man. It goes on and on, and Utah had so many good teams too i mean of course i'm going anyway uh so hopefully uh we'll keep our eye on it you said vegas is on its way back uh and hopefully that's the case for the mountain west tournament ed always great to talk to you man thank you so much for joining us thank you guys i really appreciate you having me